You can put a bookmark in Exodus chapter 20, and I'd also ask you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the chapter right before I read in Deuteronomy 5. So the Deuteronomy 4 and Exodus chapter 20. Also direct you to the bulletin that on the back has an outline for the sermon as well as the insert that I'm going to refer to in just a minute. I wonder if you prayed for me this morning. I got, I got a few nods and I got some yeses. I didn't, I didn't even ask for that. I wonder if you prayed for me because this, never preached the, the Ten Commandments and I've never preached on the Second Commandment. And the Second Commandment, while very clear and very important, initially makes one scratch his head and say, how do I apply this today if I'm not doing X? So, I, I, I just pray that God would richly help us see and understand God's Word. Ten words from God called the Decalogue. It is the moral law of God for us. And, and church... And if, if you're not saved and you're here visiting, I pray that you'll also hear this and God will be doing a work in you to say, this is right and I break it and I desperately need help like everyone else in this room. And you'll find the answer for the help. These are gifts. These Ten Commandments are gifts of wisdom and insight from a saving God to a saved people. They're not a ladder for salvation. They are commands from the law giver of the universe, and they're not mere suggestions. We take them seriously. We can no more successfully in the long run defy these laws as we could defy the law of gravity for very long. These are the revelation of God's will for our deepest parts of our being. Not just a minimalistic checklist. I did that. I'm good. They are a call to love and enjoy God forever. Just like when Jesus summed up the law, when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and you shall love your neighbor. I hope as a result of these 10 sermons, there will be a Holy Spirit working in my heart and in your heart that would cause us to fall on our knees and say, oh, how I need you because you are more holy and you demand more holiness in me than I ever could. Or like Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness succeeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. The, the law of God written in this word is meant to get at our most deepest parts and humble us and show us of our need of a great Savior and bow, bow down with empty hands and say, oh God, I need you. And he says, I will help you. I will change you. I will be your God. Okay. I, in, we're going to look at the second commandment in just a minute. I want to direct your attention to this little insert sheet that should be in your bulletin. We gave them out last week and this week. On one side, you have the Ten Commandments in summary. Please learn them. Learn them as a family. Learn them individually. It's really, just, it's really helpful because, because I'm, going to, I'm going to challenge you with four things each week. 
If, if you sit up here and you go, I had a hard time following Pastor Daniel, but you can still do this, okay? You can still do this. This will help you. In fact, you can do this with your fighter verse that you have every week. Whatever text of scripture you're reading in your devotions, these four things will really help you if you actually apply them. With each commandment, meditate on the commandment and the word. So Psalm 121 this week, do four things. Before I get into them, this comes from Martin Luther, who said, when I pray the Ten Commandments, I think of each and I divide them up and I form a garland of four, fourfold strand. Here's the four things. Number one, four important goals as you read the word or listen to the sermon. One, to receive instruction. And I would add this, to receive instruction and obey. So when you listen to me, insofar as it's God's word, say, I got to obey it. Ask, what does this mean? What is the intent of the commandment? What does this passage teach me about God's character and his ways? I want to know God in this commandment. Not just some head knowledge about what he wants. I want to know God. And what, is this, what does it teach me about my duty to God? And what does loving obedience look like? And according to this commandment, the today, the second commandment, what do I learn pleases God and what displeases God? And oh God, help me put this commandment into practice. You could say that with the fighter this verse this week and any other thing you're studying. How does the word instruct me that I might obey? Second question or second goal to give thanksgiving. So when you listen to the second commandment today, be thinking, how can this move me to give thanks to God today? How, must, how, how does it fuel my gratitude? How does this passage help me see God's character, glory, his promises, and his mercy to me in such a way that I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for giving me that. Without that, I would be impoverished or without knowing that about you, but you're that way and I praise you, God. Let the word of God move you to gratitude. Thirdly, these commandments should move us to give confession of our sins. Anytime the word is like a mirror to us, we see ourselves in the mirror and we go, oh, sin, get on my knees. If I confess my sins, confess them specifically. In Jesus, he forgives us. How does this commandment reveal how you fall short, how you're breaking God's law or sinning, and run quickly to God asking forgiveness in Jesus' name based on what Jesus did on the cross. If you're here this morning and you've never confessed your sins to God in the big picture and said, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, will you save me? God provided a way by sending his son Jesus, we're going to see this at the end, to die for your punishment and to take away your sins in order that when you confess your sins, forgiveness is involved and he removes them far from you, including all the punishment. So use it to confess your sins and your dependence. We're going to see the second commandment and say, oh God, I need you to help me. And lastly, make it a goal to use this commandment so to help you pray God's will. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Well, second commandment, first commandment last week, oh God, help me to not have any other gods before me. Help my family not to have any gods before them. Help us to worship you, God, exclusively. Help me to have 
Help me to go after you with all my heart. Help my family, help my pastor, help my church, help the person in the row next to me or in my small group. Use these commandments to guide you to pray and ask God. Ask God for help. With that said, let's dive into the second commandment. Exodus 20, verse 4, right after he says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's verse 3. That's commandment number 1. That was last week. He now moves to the second commandment. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Did you get that? Easy to understand, right? Okay, first of all, you just, I mean, the easiest part is, I'm not supposed to make something and worship it. I shouldn't go to a wood shop. I don't have a wood shop. You wouldn't want me in a wood shop. But I shouldn't do that. I should probably not take a paintbrush and make art. That wouldn't be good either. But some of you can and probably should. But you should not make it with the intent of bowing down and worshiping it, which sounds so insane. Why would you worship your, your art? Why, why does he, why the commandment? Like, huh? Well, Moses came down from the mountain and gave them the law, the passage, and, and, then, and then he went back up in the mountain and God revealed more. And while he was up there, remember, they got real impatient. They came to Aaron, his brother, and said, Aaron, he's not coming down. And they made a golden calf. And Aaron the people were saying, see the gods that led us out of Egypt? And, and Aaron kept on going, no, see, this is Yahweh who led us out of Egypt. When Aaron knew that the golden calf wasn't Yahweh, the God that led him out of Egypt, what was he doing? I'm going to make a carved image of, an, of, of a strong calf or in order to remind us of the real God that's up in the mountain. He led us out of Egypt, and as we look to this, it'll be helpful for us to see that he's tangible, he's real. It'll cause our hearts to give thanks and trust him. Remember the Red Sea. Remember, remember the man in the wilderness or that's coming. But remember all these things, the plagues in Egypt. He brought us here. He did all these things. Look at the golden calf and remember. Here's a good aid to help us remember Yahweh while we're getting impatient. And we know that it was idolatry. We know that it was Moses came down. He threw the tablets. He screamed in horror and he, and, and not. I guess, I guess we need to understand for New Testament 2020, Americans, Christians, what does the second commandment mean for us? To do so, I want us to... 
this is, these are challenging thoughts for us to think here. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I want you to see where Moses is given in Deuteronomy. This is maybe 40 years later. Moses isn't going to go into the wilderness because he actually rebelled against God. He was provoked by the, by the disobedience of Israel. You have to read, read the Pentateuch, read in Numbers on that as you move into Deuteronomy. But... What we find here is right before God is going to bring the people into the promised land, and that brings us into the book of Joshua, God is going to, he's going to, he's going to double down on the second commandment. The second commandment, no making carved images. Look at verse 12. And I want you, as you listen to this, this is going to take discipline. Think in terms of the senses, namely Sight and hearing. Because God intends for this to be, for us to get this as we connect it to the second commandment. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. See the hearing and seeing, no seeing. Only hearing. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you're going to possess. Look at verse 15. Therefore, watch yourself really carefully. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, at the midst of the fire. You say, what's Horeb? That's the same as Mount Sinai. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of man or female, male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird or flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water or under the earth, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, so, and you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and you be drawn away and you bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God allotted to all the people under emphasizing the second commandment, not to form these things. Remember, you heard, you didn't see me. No form you saw, you heard. Heard, you didn't see. Now look at verse 23. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and with... and. Be careful that, and you, he says, which he made for you. Take care that you for, not forget it, and you make a carved image. So forgetting means making a carved image. The form, there's a word form, of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I want to repeat that one more time. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God wanted us to connect. Seeing, hearing, you didn't see the form, you heard God's word, and God doesn't want you to make idols. He doesn't want you to carve idols and worship them because God's really jealous. He's a consuming fire. Now, verse 25, he then gives a warning. He says, and so when you father children and grandchildren... And they've grown old, and you, and you corruptly 
you act corruptly by making those carved images that I told you not to do, and you're going to feel it and you will regret it, he says. Because remember, he's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. Verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you and you will serve. You want to know, you want, you want those idols? You'll serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, and neither, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. You, you want those? Have them. They won't hear you. They won't answer you. I speak to you. I deliver to you. I have hands and I act. Verse 29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you'll find him. If you search him with him, search after him with all your heart and all your soul. And when you are in tribulation and all these punishments, all these things come upon you in the latter days, you'll return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Why? Because the Lord your God is a merciful God. Verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. You get that? Verse 24. For the Lord God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he spoke to you. Now, some of you might go, oh, that's interesting. Some of you might be tracking Say this all to say, we're back to the second commandment, which is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness in the sky, on the earth, underneath. He adds to that, no creatures, nothing. You cannot make a carved image of that and bow down and serve and worship them because I'm a jealous God. And there'll be, a, there'll be consequences, really bad consequences, and it will carry on to generations. So, Whenever you're looking at the law, we look at what is the letter of the law and what's the spirit of the law. Now, as, as people that believe in the lawgiver and we believe he's good, by the way, I want us to always think these are never bad. They're always good. God is so good. But we should say, what is the letter of the law? And that should matter to us. We don't just scrap that and go, I'm just, I'm just for the, le- I'm the spirit of the law kind of guy. The letter matters. You ask some of the Old Testament characters who were consumed by fire because they didn't obey the letter of the law. It matters. So the letter of the law, or what does this explicitly say? It means that I may not build, make anything to worship. I can't worship the things I make, anything. Now we learn that already, false gods. There's only one God. Worship him exclusively and shun all other idols and look to Christ uniquely the New Testament. This commandment says how you worship God really matters. Because you see what he's actually instructing, he already assumes in the first commandment that you're not allowed to worship any false gods. But he would say, Aaron, and if you look at Exodus 33 and 34, Aaron actually goes, this is the Lord. He's pointing to the calf, the golden calf that was an idol. This calf is the Lord that led us out of Egypt. And what he wasn't meaning, he wasn't mistaking that God was with Moses at the time. He was saying, this represents him, and this is an aid to help us worship him, to bring him to a tangible understanding of this God. 
That's a breaking of the second commandment. God forbids that we use any physical, visual image. And I want to say even in our minds, we we need to fight against that. That would aid us in our worship of the true God. We should not, this cross right here can be helpful, can be very just here where the slides are. Represents, the, okay, the cross of Jesus Christ, our salvation. He sacrificed for us. He served us. We are to take up our cross. All good things. They can all be good symbols. And I want to even say they're bad. But they could be problem if we go, I need those things in order for me to worship God. And I need them because by looking at them, I, I focus on God and I learn about God more and I need to look at them. Or I need to grab that cross like I have in my office, a little one that someone gave me. I got to have it and I got to hold it. When I hold it, I feel a special power from God. And then I, I might even kiss it or a crucifix or, or certain images so that when I see them, then I see and I remember, oh, he is a father. We need to be, you see, the second commandment, At the very heart of it, it teaches us that not only, first commandment says, you can only worship God. The second one says, you better worship me in the way I command you to worship me. Because if you do, if you're innovative and try to figure things out by yourself, like making a golden calf to help you, you're going to, you're going to dishonor me because that golden calf is an insult to my holiness and my character and my beauty and my might. I'm the maker of all heaven and earth. And it's, you're, you're going to so limit your understanding of me. And I'm a jealous God for my glory. And this jealousy, you say, jealous? Pastor Daniel, isn't jealousy bad? Well, there, there's two kinds of jealousy. There's a type of petty, vain Envious jealousy that is hot-headed and wrong and unloving, jumps to conclusions, untrustful for no good reason. And yet, there is a type of jealousy that's not that spite, it's not that envy, but is a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something precious. Last week when I said, talked about marriage and the fidelity, if one of you said, I want to add a person in my life of the opposite sex to join us in our marriage, you'd go, that's wrong and your spouse has every right and all of us have a right to get really mad at you because we're jealous of the preciousness of the marriage covenant. And so God is holy, holy and he is jealous of the covenant that he brought in with his people And he says, I will not let you whore or prostitute or defame or minimalize our relationship. And if you tried to worship images, everyone was doing it. The Egyptians were doing it. The Canaanites are doing it. Everybody's doing it. If we do it like that, that'll help us. It'll keep our mind from being distracted. It'll focus on something tangible because God's an invisible God. It's so hard to worship an invisible God. How do we worship an invisible God? And he says, don't you remember I spoke to you? You shall hear the words of the Lord. So, so where am I going with this? I, 
the first application is just what it says. Brothers and sisters, we should not use physical objects in, and make them or take them in order to, focus, to use them as an aid of helping us think on God as, a, as, the, as, as physical images that way. That, that isn't mean, oh, I have a three by five card and there's a verse on there and that reminds me that I need to pray. That's not what I'm talking about. We need to be careful with our images of Jesus. I have a Lord's Supper picture in my office. I noticed, I didn't even notice it for years until I started studying this. And I go, I got an image of Jesus. It's probably not a real good image of Jesus, but it is an image of Jesus, a human artistic image of Jesus. And is it wrong? Is it breaking the second commandment? I would say it could be if I pray to that. I don't think it is. I, I don't pray to that, and I don't even look at that in order to aid me in worship. It's just, one, it's art, but it's also, just a, man, it's a reminder. It's actually a reminder of a missions trip where I got it, but it's also a reminder of the Last Supper, what we're going to take here today. just need to be careful. Now, now, you might say, Pastor Daniel, I don't have, I don't kiss a cross, I don't even... We don't, we don't come in and have our, our prayer time and we look at some image that that's our father or that's Jesus or that's a golden calf, that's how we're to worship. I don't use those things. Um, so I guess the second commandment, I'm doing pretty good on that, right? Well, I just want, I want to give you four instructions because that's what we should do. We want to let the, the commandment instruct us. And I think that, and this is from me and from the teaching of history over the last 2,000 years in the Christian church, they have said these principles are really important for us to understand. What, what do we learn from the second commandment? Because, of course, we learn we must not worship other gods. But, but what more? So I just want to give you just four exhortations, and then we're going to take communion. In fact, the last one leads us right into communion. Number one, here are four instructions to God's people regarding the second commandment. Number one. We must worship the true God rightly. This first point, I just I want to focus. We must worship God. We're worshiping God, people. I mean, in this commandment, it says it assumes that you're gonna there's gonna be a, a temptation to make carved images, bow down, and serve them. That's worship. To worship something is to bow ourselves to, to declare its worth. That's adoration to give thanks to that object, to put our trust in that object, and in a sense, to pray or to invoke its help. It's what we do when we worship, at least in the technical sense. We do that in secondary senses with things. We don't pray to money, but we put our hope in money. We don't pray to, to comfort, but we sure put our hope in comfort, and if it gets robbed, we're pretty angry. Those become idols false gods. But, when, but this, first, this commandment should just cause me and you that want to obey God's word to go, God really wants us to worship him because he has a whole commandment how not to worship him. He's, basically, the second commandment says, you better listen to me how you worship 
Don't be innovative in your worship. Don't think you can just figure out and create all these little ways like all the nations are doing and making images. Don't do it because you're going to mess it up. And in messing that up, you're going to serve a different God altogether, a God of your own liking. So God wants us to serve him. Brothers and sisters, do you worship? Do you long to worship? I think God would be so glorified and we would be, we would be growing and living out the, the heartbeat of the second command as that we get down and we do bow down and we worship the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the true God. And, and we love to sing and we love to praise. We, we take to heart the truths of like Psalm 95, oh come, let us worship him by down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, let's hear his voice. I mean, it was, it's a big deal to, to worship God. And we were made, we're all worshipers at heart. I said this last week. The question is who? And if we come here half-hearted, we're actually kind of dividing our worship, and we're actually, if, if we're coming here half-hearted because we don't like singing. Well, the Bible says a lot about singing, so we've got to learn to like singing because we love God, and we know we don't trust ourselves that our, our tendencies are, are healthy. We've got to grow our tendencies towards a new shape by God's Word. So are we wholeheartedly worshiping? Wholeheartedly listening to God's Word? Wholeheartedly coming to prayer and hear Pastoral prayer here, see one another, encourage one another. This first commandment says, oh, come, and you are called to worship me. And, and the second one, the second point that I want to give to you is we must worship him rightly. And we must, so therefore we must do it with the aid of the word of God. The aid of the word of God, the Bible. We are to worship God primarily and actually exclusively in a certain sense with the aid of the word of God and not other things. Now, I don't mean to say it's wrong to go on a hike and you see the beautiful creation or the skies above and it's night and the stars are everywhere because you're in a, in a place where it's clear like that and you worship God. You could worship the sky, but you could just use that and go, look at the heavens are declaring the glory of God is hand. But there is a way in, so I'm not saying that, but the way we gather is to be guided by his word. And we need to be careful of the tendency to let his creation, the created things, captivate our hearts in exclusion to the word. Because even though the sky is beautiful, the mountains are gorgeous, the, the skyline and the sun coming in the morning and going in the evening and the beautiful shades are beautiful. They will never show you what you truly need to know about God that you might bow down and worship him rightly. And so here's my challenge. We need God's word, not images made by man to aid us in his word. Whether that be crucifixes or praying to the saints or praying on kissing images or icons. And we need God's word to aid us in our worship, not our imaginations made by man. Too often, we hear and we take in the imaginations or the thoughts that are in our world. And therefore, I mean, how many times have you heard this? I don't believe in a God that would, would condemn a person to hell. 
Well, on one side, I appreciate your compassion because hell is a deep and painful and reality. It speaks to the, the wrath and the anger of God, a holy God. But if you don't believe in a God that does absolutes and that sex is between a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage, and, if, and we hear all the time, I, I wouldn't believe in a God that would condemn somebody else's orientation as a sin. But what are we doing is we are, we are shaping a God made after the image of something else, the world, our culture, the air we breathe, that is contrary to this word. And we could find ourselves, we have to be really careful, never saying as we come to the Word of God or hear the teaching of the Word of God, well, my God would never do that unless the Bible clearly says he will not do that. All the time, we need to let this Bible instruct our minds and our thinkings. And there's going to be times where we go, that doesn't seem right in the Bible. God wouldn't be jealous. Okay, God's never wrong. I must be. Um, there's election in the Bible. God's never wrong. I must be. My view of fair or freedom, I, I got to get that. I got to let God to change my mind and my heart. Now, there's there's a lot of good things that our hearts are struggling with, and we need to wrestle with the text and have people help us. But it is His Word that must drive our image and view of God. Because you see, if we get a wrong view of God, we're worshiping not God, but our God made in our own image or in the image of somebody else, but not God in His Word, and therefore we are idolaters. Oh, that we would be a people that are aided all the time by the Word of God. There, there are three types of worship God's Word teaches us or calls us to. There's individual or personal worship that we just, we grow. The psalmist talks about going to God alone and seeking Him in, his, in prayer and seeking Him in obedience, seeking Him by meditating on His Word day and night. That's a kind of worship that is meant to be lived out in all of our life. That's what all Christians are called to. There's a second kind, and that's family worship, where we gather our kids, we gather our household together and we pray and we read God's word and we seek to apply it and we put we the fighter verses are a way to aid you to help you in that and you say where's that in the Bible well Deuteronomy 6 right after he gives the law he says you shall love God and then in verses 6 and 7 he says and you should love him under your children you should all these things you should just like saturate your home that kind of worship but we find in the New Testament and in the Old Testament the corporate gathering of God's people in the New Testament. They gathered to pray, to read the word, to hear the preaching of the word of God, to see the word in communion and baptism, and to sing the word, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Notice we just sang psalms. And our desire at this church, and it's for these reasons, that this Bible must aid us in our worship, shape our views of God, and that cause us to rightly think on God and then respond in praise and confess our sins and trust him and pray to him for help. That's why we want to sing God's word. That's why we must pray God's word, read God's word, preach God's word, see God's word in the communion, and then live God's word as God's people. The second commandment says God cares about how we worship him and he, oh, he cares about us hearing his word. Remember in Deuteronomy 4, the point I brought it up this 
is not, you didn't see images of God. He was invisible. He's incomprehensible, but he, you heard with your ears the word because he was shaping in us for thousands of years now that you're going to be a people of the book. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10. God's word is to be heard. That doesn't mean we can't read it. Of course, we read it and see it. That's what I'm saying is it's been unwritten word, not images, not pictures. We're, and so God has called us to that. The third is we must remember that we're reproducing worshipers. This is a call to all parents, all adults, all grandparents. You are reproducing worshipers. Maybe you Maybe you scowled inside or outside when you heard me read the words, visiting the iniquity of fathers to the fourth and fifth generation of their children's children on those that hate me. And to thousands, showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. What is that about? Well, in, in short, if I could summarize it, I think what he's saying... Ezekiel 28 made it very clear that God's way was not to punish children directly for the sins of their dad. Like, dad did this, punishment you. But he didn't, there is a reality, and I think it's in this passage, that the sins, especially of worshiping God wrongly, not letting the word of God, the truth of God, and serving false gods, will produce, is a type of hatred towards God, the jealous God, that just so naturally, sadly, devastatingly reproduces itself in the next generations. The family, the reason why such high percentage of our children leave the faith once they go to college is not because the indoctrination of the colleges. It's not, it's not because there's just so much junk out there. All those things impact is because mom and, and I say, especially dad, are not broken and humble before the word of God, bringing their children into the worship of God's people week after week saying, where else would we go? He is the words of life. And I'm, I'm a sinner, son, but I, daughter, but I love Jesus and he saved my life and he am growing in his word and forgive me when I sin and I need your help to pray for me too. And we create a culture that is based on God's word and we bring people into our lives that will speak into it. And we, we show our kids week after week, God in his word, not sports. God in his word, not entertainment. God in his word, and, and all these other things, they matter way more. They bring eternal life. They are what satisfy our souls. All those things can be gifts from God, and they can be done in the right place, even to glorify God. But why would we go there when we have God? We're reproducing worshipers. Now, I, I just want to, oh, lastly, and we're going to go into communion here, is... I want to encourage you because I know parents that especially have already raised their kids and they're out of the home and maybe not living for the Lord or, or you got grandchildren and children. I want to give you hope because God is a God of mercy. We all mess it up all the time and God is merciful and gracious. He wants us, he, he works with us where we are, not where we ought to be. And, and in this 
the reason, one of the reasons why I kept reading in Deuteronomy chapter 4 was, did you see? God is a jealous God. He is a consuming fire. Take him seriously. Repent of your sin, even of your past failures of disobedience. Don't, don't fight the shame that you know should be there by just ignoring it because you want good mental health. But instead, fall on your knees and repent of your sins and he forgives you. Doesn't change any, doesn't change necessarily the past, but boy, he's for you. And we find here at the end of this passage that he says, and when you return to me, you're going to return to me because I'm a merciful God. Point, you see the two sides of God here that we must always balance? God is absolutely consuming fire against sin and wrath. And he's merciful. That doesn't logically make sense. A righteous, holy judge cannot let a wicked, scoundrel, sinner who's condemned free. He doesn't have that authority and still rest. Well, you see, there is, that leads us to the fourth point. There is only one image that we Christians worship. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from the dead because he was raised. He is the express imprint of God's nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's a man because he became a man. It's Jesus Christ. And he's also God. The only image that we must, can look at, and we must always look at as Christians to worship in order to see God rightly is Jesus Christ. We see, read these passages in Deuteronomy and see mercy and consuming fire, and we go, Jesus. Because you see, in the cross, God's consuming fire and wrath was poured out on him for us. Because we deserved it. And all those who repent, ask him to forgive them, us, believe on him, accept his call to our lives to follow him because we trust him. We receive unfathomable mercy. We enter into a covenant where God is our father. And of course, he's still a jealous father. He didn't leave us alone. He left us with the spirit to so empower us to, to live a, be changed to be like our older brother and savior, Jesus Christ. Second commandment, as Christians, we cannot help but think of images in worshiping God and think, but there is one that reveals to us, aids to us on our minds and our heart, the real God. And that is we look and we look always to Jesus Christ. Look at him in the Gospels. Look him in the New Testament letters. See him in the Old Testament figures that foreshadow and point to Jesus. Jesus is the way we come to God and see God and worship him. So every Sunday when I say welcome, we are worshiping in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's with that we come and we take of this meal. And so I said we, we sang God's word and we read God's word and we preach God's word and listen to God's word preached. We pray God's word as Jim prayed God's word. 
Now, we see God's word. Now, it's confusing because, like, if I invented this, I would be breaking the second commandment. Bread, because he, he said he was the bread of life, and he was, his blood was shed for us. And if I took, and I just invented in my office, I got to think of an object lesson for we at the church to think about Jesus' broken body and shed blood. Ah, bread and wine or juice, that's a good idea. We'll actually eat it and drink it because we actually need him for nourishment, and he shed his blood for us. That's a good idea. Let me do that. Idolatrous. Second commandment breaking if I'm inventing that. But he gave it to us. He gave it to us as a covenant meal to go take and eat, remembering my body was broken for you, to bring you into this covenant of love, of which I'm very jealous that you become like me. And I've provided my son in order for you to be like me. Little by little, but first by you repenting your sins and I, bring your, I put my spirit in you. And, and, this, and I bought you with his blood. He died that you might have life. And so this is a gratitude meal. It is a faith-filling meal that he ordained for us, designed for us, said you should do this as often as you gather. Probably should do it more often. It is, it is object lesson, but more than that, because as we take of, his, take of these elements, he is spiritually ministering to us. As we're confessing our sins, as we're looking to Christ, he's nourishing us as we look to Christ alone. You might be here and you might not. God is moving your heart to say, I need him. I now see him and I want him and I'm going to follow him. You need to get baptized. If you have never been baptized, you need to be baptized. Jesus said that we believe and then are baptized as a mark of being in his name. That's the initiation rite of being into that body. This, this is like this ongoing covenant meal that says, reminds us we are in his body. And so you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you do need to be a member of his body, and so if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have marked that by made public confession that Jesus is Lord and Savior through baptism, I invite you to take part. We're going to, in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to make two rows down these side aisles and you're going to take a piece of bread, you're going to take a cup, you'll go back to your seats and you're going to wait and I'll lead you in taking of that. Jay and the worship team are going to play music and, we're, and you can sing or just listen to people sing, but look around also and thank God that them too, he's saved and is saving, he's working in their lives. Also look at them and say, I'm committed to them. They're a fellow member and I have an obligation to them and they to me to love one another and help each other in this walk, to live this out. On the night, I'm going to invite the worship team. Why don't you come and get ready? I'm going to invite the deacons who are going to come and help serve with me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by even his own disciples, in some ways, but by Judas and the great betrayal, he took the bread and he said, this is my body was given for you. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He said, this is my covenant in my blood. Oh, let us rejoice. Let us thank God for it. Would you bow with me and let us praise him and thank him?
Oh, Father, thank you for your son who is your image, also is you. And I pray that we would give thanks to him and we'd look to him always and we would see him more clearly as we take this communion with our brothers and sisters. Help us to, to remember that when we were needing help, he came and he showed it on the cross. In need, we can always run to him. That this meal reminds us of that. Minister to us now because, oh, we need you. In Jesus' name.